We've been working through a series called Rhythms, and we are in the book of John, chapter 15 today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip over to John 15, and, and we're, we're in week three of four of that, and so we'll finish today. We'll talk tomorrow about our final rhythm we're going to look at, or next Sunday, no church tomorrow. We'll talk next Sunday about our final rhythm that we're going to look at, and then the week after that, we'll dive back into the book of Colossians and continue our study there. By way of introduction, I'm curious if any of you have ever felt like you're just not who you're supposed to be. You know what I mean? Like you, you have this vision for who you ought to be, this goal for how you want to live your life, the type of person you want to be, how you want to live, act, and behave, how you want to speak, how you want to be thought of. And there's a gap between who you are and who you want to be. Has anybody ever felt that besides me or are you guys all perfect? Well, that's fine. Tune this one out. But I think all of us have felt this lack, right? Where we're not who we're supposed to be. And we, we have this desire to be, and if you're a Christian, you even have a desire to be who God tells you you should be and who we see in the scriptures and we can't quite seem to get there. Sometimes it's maybe even more frustrating if you've ever met someone who is really just, especially in the faith, just a dynamic person who has, seems to have a vibrant walk with God. Have you ever, have you ever talked to someone and you finish that conversation, you go, that person knows Jesus. Have you ever met people like that? And it's just encouraging. And just the, the joy of the Lord radiates off of them. Wisdom comes from them. They have their lives under control. They, they, they seem to be what the Bible is talking about, how we're supposed to live. And you're going, they're here, I'm here. How do I close the gap? As we've been looking at these spiritual rhythms over the last couple of weeks, we're going to look at one today that I think helps us begin to chip away at that gap and be more and more and more the people that we want to be and that God has called us to be and the Bible has determined we should be. So we're going to look at John chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. If you have your Bible, follow along with me. The Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it, may, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is a, a beautiful piece of scripture. If you've been around the church or you've been around the Bible for a while, you've probably read this passage uh, before. And, and what Jesus is doing, he's speaking to his disciples here. He's speaking to Christians here. And uh, it is uh, in a part of scripture that the theologians call um, the, the uh, upper room discourse. Uh, it's a really clever name. They name it that way because it was given in the upper room. And uh, Jesus is, is moments away. Uh, this evening, very evening, he's speaking these words. He's going to be arrested. Uh, and he's going to be taken to a mock trial, and the next day he'll be hung on a cross and, and die for the sins of the world. And so these are uh, chapters 13 through, I think it's 17 of this section of the book of John, is kind of Jesus' last words to his disciples. And right in the middle of that, 
he says these words, and he gives this lesson on abiding, this illustration from gardening. And in this illustration, he gives us the key or the secret to growing in our faith, to growing in Christ, to being the Christians God has called us to be. And the main idea, if you're a note taker, is this, is very simple, is that growing Christians are connected to Christ. Growing Christians are connected to Christ, he says. And so what we're going to do this morning, we, we, there's, this is such a rich passage. I would just encourage you to just press into it uh, in, your, in your reading this week. But we're going to just look at one piece of theology here first, and then two pieces of application. So that's where we're headed this morning. One piece of theology, two pieces of application, and the piece of theology is this, is that connection to Christ produces life. Connection to Christ produces life. What Jesus tells us here is that our spiritual vitality, our spiritual health, our spiritual life comes from being connected, united with him. And this is how uh, we become Christians in the first place. We, we get new life. We're made alive as believers by becoming connected to Jesus. This passage makes it very clear there are only two types of people in the world. Spiritually dead people and spiritually alive people. There's not like a middle, right? We know how death works and life works. There's not like, I'm kind of dead. Like, you're either dead or you're alive. This is what this passage is teaching. There's either spiritual death or spiritual life. And the defining factor is whether or not we are spiritually alive or not is whether or not we are connected to Jesus. He says spiritually dead people are those who do not produce fruit. And they are therefore discarded, this text says. Spiritually alive people are those who do bear fruit and subsequently are pruned so they'll continue to bear more fruit. And the determining factor in our life in Christ is our connection to Jesus the vine. And the biggest, the biggest problem each person has ever had and will ever have in the history of the world is that we are all born estranged from God. We are born disconnected from Jesus, from God. We are born alienated from him because of our sin nature. We are born sinners, and then we make it worse by continuing to sin as we live. Uh, if you have any doubt in this doctrine of sin, I would just encourage you to talk to someone who has a newborn. Newborns, I have found, begin lying almost immediately. They learn to lie before they learn to talk, right? And think about this. Think about when you had a, had a newborn, right? And the baby monitors make it possible for you to see them, to see them fake crying to get your attention. Have you ever observed a baby doing this? They'll just start, wow, wow, wow. And the moment you walk in, they're good. Everything's fine. What are they doing? They're lying to you. They're sinners. Every <laughs> one of us, your children, some of you, go, some of you guys, my children are definitely sinners. Some of you guys still, still think yours are angels. I'm here to dispel that notion today. We are all born in sin. And then we make it worse by continuing to sin. And all sin means is just violating God's laws, living in a different way than God's called us to live, living in rebellion to his commands. And this separates us from God, right? The Bible is very clear that God is perfect and that he can't, be, he can't therefore be in the presence of imperfection, of sin. And so we now have to be separated from God. We've been looking at the book of Colossians recently. Colossians chapter 2, we looked at this a few weeks ago. Verses 13 and 14 says this, And you who were dead... In your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. How did he do it? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
So the Bible teaches that every person is born dead. And when, when the Bible here says, and you were dead, it's talking about you. And it's talking about me. It's talking about all of us. We're dead in our trespasses, which is another word for sins. But by wiping away our sins on the cross, God takes away the thing that's separating us from him and then unites us to Christ and we are made alive. This is why Christians always talk about being born again. You hear about being born again earlier in the book of John. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. There has to be new life. And that new life comes by connecting ourselves to Jesus. And this is fantastic news. This is fantastic news because each and every one of us as people who are dead in our sins, this passage in John 15 says we were destined for destruction because of our sin. But instead, God makes a way through Christ that we can be destined for joy everlasting. As followers of Christ, that should warm our hearts, that should excite us, that should give us joy each and every day. And the crucial question before we go any further, talking about any spiritual rhythms or anything else today, the crucial question for you this morning is, have you been made alive in Christ? Have you put your faith in Jesus for salvation? Has there ever been a time in your life where you decided, I believe that Jesus, God in the flesh, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cross in my place, rose from the dead three days later, and walked out of a grave alive. Do you believe that? Have you chosen to believe that? Have you decided to put your faith in that work on the cross? What I'm not asking is, did you grow up in a Christian home? What I'm not asking is, do you go to church regularly? What I'm not asking is, have you been baptized? I'm not even asking, do you believe in God? Because none of those things save people. Faith in Jesus on a cross saves people from their sins. And so I'm asking you this morning, have you put your faith in Jesus on the cross for salvation? If you have praised the Lord, you have reason for joy this morning. You can sing those songs that we just sing, sang with a smile on your face because of the fact that you are in the family of God and you belong to him for eternity. But if you have not made that decision, or maybe you've been trusting in your family's faith, or you're trusting in your good works, or you're trusting in your, some baptism that happened years ago that had no meaningful effect on your life, the Bible says you should decide today to put your faith in Christ. Today, if you hear his voice, the scripture says, is the day you should respond. And so by putting our faith in Christ, we are made alive. We are joined to Jesus. We are connected to Christ. And that's the beginning of our walk with the Lord. The good news is about Jesus is he doesn't just make us alive, but he keeps us alive in the very same way. We're made alive by faith in Christ and we're kept alive by abiding in Christ through faith. The main thrust of this passage this morning is very simple, is that our continued spiritual life, our continued spiritual health is directly correlated to our connection with Jesus. The word abide here, it's used in this short passage seven times because Jesus is trying to hammer this home that the task for you and me as Christians is to stay put. Once you find Jesus and latch on to him, stay put. Don't go anywhere else. Don't look for meaning in any other place. The reason he says, I'm the true vine, is because there are other things in this life that are going to say, no, 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 I'm the source of life. I'm going to give you joy that you want. I'm going to give you the purpose that you're after. I'm going to give you the hope that you're looking for. I'm going to make you feel special. Jesus is saying, don't go chasing those false vines. I'm the true vine. Stay right here. And that's our task as Christians, is to abide in Christ. And using this idea 
of the vine to illustrate this point. Jesus says he's the core vine, and we are the branches that shoot off from that and bear fruit. And we receive the nutrients that we need for life and for fruit bearing from our connection to Jesus. We don't do it within ourselves. He does it through us. And conversely, he says branches that are disconnected from the vine, from Jesus, they don't get the nutrients they need, and therefore they wither and die. Thus the command to abide or remain or stay connected because it's our only source of spiritual life. Early this morning, I, I got up and I, I'd say, always do on Sunday mornings, reviewed uh, my sermon. And by reviewed, I mean make major changes that I have to send to Craig the last minute to put on the slides and he gets angry at me, but he's kind to do it. So I, I opened up my computer and I'm looking through everything and um, uh, moving this around, adding this quote here, deleting this verse here, whatever. And all of a sudden, my computer starts to kind of like lag and slow. You know what I mean? Has this ever happened to you? Where you're like, you start, I'm typing some things, and you see it, it takes a, just a fraction of a second for the word to show up. You're like, this, that's not how this is supposed to work, right? And I'm listening to some music, and the music starts to skip a little bit. I'm like, is this like a Sony Walkman? Like, what is happening? What is going on? And I, eventually, uh, it's like running so slow that I'm like, let me do the number one thing all tech support people say to do, which is? Amen. I'm glad you guys are well-trained. So I restarted my computer, hit the reset deal and made sure I saved and hit restart and did the whole thing. It made the little noise at the beginning and started doing the loading bar. And I was like, okay, we're going to be back in action. And then the screen went dark. And early this morning, I started praying like I haven't prayed in a long time. I was like, Lord, what, what, are, what are we doing here? I started cursing Satan, calling down judgment from heaven. I mean, I'm just doing everything I can. I'm, I'm on my phone now, like Googling, like how to force restart. And I do some crazy keystrokes. I, it had me like pressing four keys. I'm doing this number. It's crazy, doing whatever I could. I started to get this thing going. And it, I did. It got it restarted and it started loading, loading, loading. And then it died again. And then I looked at the power cord. My computer was not plugged all the way into the world. And I felt like the biggest idiot on earth. So I thought I'd share that with you this morning. <laughs> because it's a perfect illustration of what happens when we are not connected to our power source, our life source as Christians. Eventually, we die. There's, there's initially, maybe you can kind of function. I was rolling. I probably had 50% battery when I started this thing. But and eventually, my separation from Jesus was too much to overcome. And the computer died. This happens in our spiritual lives as well. Jesus makes us alive when we put our faith in Jesus. He keeps us alive by abiding in him. And the evidence that we are alive in Christ is the spiritual fruit that we bear in our life, this text says. I want to submit to you that in general, you can tell whether or not someone is a Christian by looking at their life. Now, a lot of caveats to this, but in general, you can tell whether or not You can tell, there we go, when the batteries work. More importantly than telling if other people are Christians by the fruit in their life, is you can tell if you're a Christian by the fruit in your life. What does it mean to bear fruit? This text talks over and over and over again about bearing fruit. What does it mean to bear fruit? It means that there are things that come from your life look like Jesus. 
If Jesus is the vine and we're supposed to be connected to him and he's producing fruit through us, the fruit that comes out of our life, the things that we produce, that's the word produce, right? The fruit that we produce should look like Christ. Affection for God, victory over sin, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all of these fruits that come out of our life should look like Jesus. Christians should produce godliness. The Bible tells us that if we look at our lives and we don't see these things, in an ever-increasing amount, the most likely explanation is that we are not connected to Jesus. And that should be cause for concern. The Bible is kind. God is kind to warn us and to give us warning signs like a traffic light when the light turns yellow. He's saying, hey, look out. You may not want to cruise through this intersection quite so fast. The Bible gives us warning signs, and this is one of them we don't see these things, we should take stock, take inventory of our lives. And I want to say something, I'm, I'm certain just by the law of numbers and averages that there are people in this room who claim to be followers with, of Jesus. There are people in this room who claim to be followers of Jesus, but their lives prove them liars. And the Bible says you need to know that because if you continue down this path, you will be gathered up and burned, this passage says. And that's a hard truth. Nobody came here looking, hoping to hear that, right? But it's the truth of God's word. And I would be neglecting my duty to you as your pastor if I did not tell you that you've got to do something about that. You've got to make a change. You've got to put your faith in Jesus. You've got to trust him. And your life has to show it. It has to look like it. Now, there are some situations where maybe the fruit in your life is not disappeared, but it's slowed down, right? You ever been in that season of your life? where like, I still love Jesus. I still believe he died for me on the cross, and I, I'm still generally following him, but I, my life isn't quite where it needs to be. This passage also tells us you may be ready for a season of pruning, a season of cutting back bad or dead parts of your life so that more fruit can be born in your life. This pruning is painful, it's not fun, but it's good because it proves that God is still working in your life and that God loves you. The Bible says he chastens those he loves. And so there's a temptation. You hear some pastor like me say stuff like this. Oh, you got to bear fruit. you got to do good stuff. Your life has to look like you're a Christian. We need to be able to tell you're a Christian by the way you live. And so there's a temptation when that happens for you. You go, okay, I better start doing some good stuff. I mean, tomorrow I'm going to do some good works. Or I mean, I'm going to up my giving. You can do that, by the way. It's fine. It's no, no big deal. I'm up my giving. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to, I'm going to stop cursing. You should probably do that too. Or I'm going to stop this or stop that, whatever. There's a tendency to say, I'm going to start doing more because I don't look good enough. But notice in this passage, what is the command? Is the command to bear fruit? No. The command is to abide. The command is to remain with Jesus, to grab hold of Jesus. He doesn't command us to bear fruit. He commands us to abide. And I would argue from Scripture that if you don't have spiritual fruit in your life, your task isn't to go start doing good things. Your task is to return to Christ. Be reminded anew what he's done for you on the cross. Be reminded anew of all of the blessings of salvation. Be reminded anew of his love and mercy towards you. And let that come over you and cause you then to bear fruit. You see, fruit is a product. 
It's not the starting point. The starting point is Jesus. And so our job is to grab hold of Jesus and let the fruit flow through him. And so your action step, what do we do with that? Here's the rhythm that we're talking about. As I want to encourage you, insist, I want to beg of you, that you spend daily time alone with God. I want to beg you, church, that you spend daily time alone with God. I said earlier, this is part of the upper room discourse. These are Jesus' last words to his disciples. Jesus knows what's coming next, doesn't he? He knows he's going to a cross. He knows he's going to walk out of a grave alive. And then he knows he's going to ascend to heaven where he's going to stay until he returns again later down the road. What is he doing here? He's preparing his disciples for life with him when he's not physically present. That's what he's doing. He's teaching them, this is how you live. This is how you walk with me when I'm not around anymore. Verse 7 is kind of the linchpin, the key here. As he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus says, when I leave, you can still have a relationship with me, and here's how it's going to be. I'm going to speak to you through my words. You're going to let my words abide in you, and you're going to speak to me through prayer. We're going to still have a relationship. We're going to still communicate. And I would argue, again, that after the regular gathering of the believers on Sunday mornings in church like we're doing right now, the second most important thing you can do for your spiritual health and vitality is to have a daily time alone with Jesus. I had a professor in college, he said, make no mistake, time equals intimacy. Time equals intimacy. The way you draw close to someone, there's no replacement for time spent with them. We know this to be true. Anybody that's been in a romantic relationship knows this to be true. If you were to ask me, do you love your wife? I'd say, yes, absolutely. What if you ask me, how often do you spend time with her then? I said, oh, once a week, about an hour a week. You could probably look at me funny, like, really? An hour a week? Then you say, but, but I'd probably say, well, unless I'm really busy, then it's like just a couple of times a month, honestly. <laughs> oh, man. Well, does your wife talk to you? Yeah, she talks all the time, in fact. <laughs> I just never listen. Some of you, that's true for your marriage. Yeah, she's always talking to me. I just never listen to her. I don't really care what she has to say all that much. Do you talk to her? Yeah, but only when I need something. If I were to tell you that that's what my marriage looks like, what would you deduce about my marriage? That it's almost over, right? But isn't that what we do with the Lord, right? Where you spend time with him? Do you spend time alone with him? Every once in a while, but not very often. Do you, do you listen to what he has to say to you? Uh, just on Sundays mostly, and I let some other guy tell me what he's saying to me. I don't really do it for myself. Huh. Well, do you ever speak to him? Yeah, yeah, I definitely have prayer requests. I definitely need th- him to do things for me. So I, I definitely say that to him, but that's about it. It's like, man, where's the vitality in that kind of relationship? Where's the health in that relationship? Here we are, the people of God, with access to the creator of the universe, the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned in heaven. We have access to him at any moment, at any time, at any day, and we say, ah, i got better things to do. What does it mean to abide? It means to stay connected to Christ. How do we stay connected to Christ? Through his word and through his prayer and through prayer. And I want to suggest one of the, one of the most important ways you can do that is by setting aside daily time with Jesus. So, two more. These are our two application points. We'll go quickly through these. 
We stay connected to Christ through his word, church. We've got to stay connected to Christ through his word. God's word is an essential element to staying connected to Jesus. Jesus tells his disciples that abiding in him means his words abiding in them. In his kindness, God has given us his word. And and we live in a very special era that all of church history hasn't lived under. It wasn't until the year 1440, it's your history lesson for the day, wasn't until the year 1440 that Gutenberg perfected the movable type printing press. That doesn't sound like a big deal, but for the people of God, that's a huge deal. Printers were able to go then from copying about 40 pages of text a day to almost 4,000 pages of text a day. And all of a sudden, the Bible became readily accessible to anyone and everyone who wanted it. It spurred the the Reformation as people were able to read the scriptures for themselves. And we as Christians today are so spoiled when it comes to God's word, aren't we? Any of you, any of you in here, I'm willing to bet 100% of the people in this room, unless you're under the age of like 10, has a phone in your pocket. Some of you, it's in your hand and you're on Facebook because you're bored, and that's fine. Some of y'all aren't laughing because you know it's true. (laughs) We have, I I probably have a dozen printed copies of God's Word in my office, in my house. I have every translation that's ever been made of God's Word in my pocket, on my phone. We have such amazing access to God's Word. And the Bible, the Bible tells us it's living and active. It's able to change us. It's God speaking to us. All that God wants to say to you, to his people, is contained in this book. And it's simultaneously incredibly accessible and also unexhaustible. St. Jerome, who translated the Bible into Latin, which many of modern translations are based off of, he said this about the Bible. He said, the scriptures are shallow enough for a babe to come and drink without fear of drowning. And they're deep enough for a theologian to swim in without ever touching the bottom. That's our our Bible that God has given us. Anyone can read and understand it. The main point of the Bible is incredibly obvious and easy to grasp, no matter how simple you may be. But it's also so deep that you'll never wear it out, will you? And there are people in this room that have been reading God's word for a long time, and you know that what I'm saying is true, that you have never been able to plumb to the depths of God's word and run out of stuff that amazes you. Why? Because it's living and active. And so I want to encourage you with some practical steps on reading God's word. First thing I want to encourage you to do is set reasonable goals. Church, set reasonable goals. Some of you guys get so fired up and every January you decide, I'm going to read the Bible this year. And you, and you go, I'm going to read seven chapters a day and it's going to be awesome. And you read seven chapters of Genesis 1, the, fir- the, fir- the, the, the first day of the year. And you're like, man, that's harder than I thought it was, but I'm going to do it. I'm still fired up. So day two, you start on chapter eight and you're ready to go. And you might make it to day three, right? But we give up, don't we? Why? I think we, it's, it's crazy because we set unreasonable goals for ourselves. There's no command in Scripture that you have to read a certain amount of Bible every day. God just wants to speak to you. The goal isn't to read a lot. The goal is to meet with God. And so instead of ending up feeling defeated and discouraged, like you're not good enough, just read a little bit. I would encourage you to set a timer for five minutes and just read till the timer goes off. Or just decide, I'm going to read one chapter a day, and that's it. And I'm going to spend my time thinking about what God has to say to me through it. Start small, and as your appetite grows, fine, great, add to it if you want to. But set reasonable goals for your Bible reading, church. I want to encourage you to make a plan for your Bible reading. Make a plan. If you fail to plan, you 
look at you guys. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And if you don't have a plan for how you're going to read your Bible each day, you won't do it. You'll get lost in the what I should read. You'll do the, the, the trick where you just flop it open to a passage and see what happens. And you'll get off track. I want you to make a plan for your reading. Pick a Bible reading plan and stick to it. In the back of the room, I've printed out like 100 copies of a very simple uh, five-minute Bible reading plan. It has you reading through the entire New Testament uh, in a year. So it's very slow-paced, very accessible, five minutes a day. Grab a plan, stick it in your Bible on the way out, and start tomorrow. And just read God's Word each and every day. If you're watching online, we've put the link on our website as well. My third bit of advice, I want to encourage you to ask good questions when you read the Bible. A lot of times we get discouraged in our Bible reading, don't we? Because it doesn't mean anything to us or we don't understand what happened in it or we don't understand some bit of theology in it. And sometimes we read and maybe it's because it's early in the morning we haven't had enough coffee yet or because we're busy. We might read in the morning and by the time we get in the car to go to work, we've forgotten what we read. Has that ever happened to you? I don't even remember what that was. One way we can fight that is by asking good questions. If you're a note taker, I'm going to read off six questions you can ask. I should have put them on the screen. I didn't. Next time. Put them online this week. How about that? Here's some questions you can ask of your Bible reading. Number one, what did I learn about God? What does this teach me about God? Second, you can ask, what does this teach me about mankind or about myself? What do I learn about man in my Bible reading today? Third, you can ask, is there an example to follow? Is there an example to follow? Maybe you're reading a story about a character in a Bible, and you can say, is there something noble that I should follow in here? Is there a sin to avoid? Does this passage highlight something that I should not do? Is there a command to obey? Does this scripture highlight something that I should be doing that I'm not? And lastly, is there a promise to trust? It's got to make a promise here in this passage that I should hold on to. So I want to encourage you, grab a Bible reading plan, five minutes, five days, and go for it. Second point of application as we close. We stay connected to Christ through prayer. We stay connected to Christ through prayer. Here's the beautiful thing. God doesn't just want to speak to you, but he wants to hear from you. Isn't that incredible? The God of the universe cares enough about you that he wants to hear from you. He's listening. And prayer is simply talking to God. Prayer is not a performance. Prayer is not some script. Prayer is just you talking to God. Just a few verses later in John chapter 15, Jesus tells his disciples that no longer do I call you servants, but I'm calling you friends. So we should talk to God as our Friend, And so some practical advice on prayer. Number one, pray honestly. God sees everything. God knows everything. He knows you inside and out. The Bible says he knows the things you're going to say before you even say them. So what's the point in putting up a front with God? There's no reason to do that. Be honest with God. Tell him how you really feel. Skip the these and thous, right? He speaks your language. Tell God how you really feel, what you're really thinking, where you're really at. God, I'm angry, I'm scared, I'm excited, I'm nervous, I'm hurt. Whatever you're going with, he can handle it. Go read the Psalms. God can handle our honest prayers. So let's be honest with God. Second, just like with our Bible reading, make a plan for your prayers as well. Uh, Sometimes we we get sidetracked in prayer because we don't know what to pray. I would encourage you to, to use some kind of a plan or guide for how you pray the Acts Acronym is very helpful. A-C-T-S, Acts, can guide your prayers. The A stands for adoration. Spend some time in your prayers adoring God for who he is, worshiping him. C stands for confession. Confess your sins to God. T for thanksgiving. Thank God for what he's done in your life and the blessings he's given you. And S is for supplication, which is the request that you have for the Lord. 
My last piece of advice is this, is pray the Bible. Pray the Bible. Use the language of the scriptures to guide your prayers. You can do this with any passage. You can do this with our passage today. John chapter 15, verses 1, uh, through however long we have. So you, could, you could pray just like this. You go, Lord, you are the true vine. Heavenly Father, you're the vine dresser. Lord, I want to be a branch that bears fruit. I want to be a branch that does what you call me to do. I want to be a branch that honors you with my life. Lord, if you see the need to prune me, would you prune me? I want to bear fruit for your glory. I thank you, Lord, for making me. We could go on and on, right? You could pray the Bible. You don't have to have the words to pray. God's given you the words to pray right here. So I want to encourage you to pray the Bible. As we wrap, I want to encourage you, church, as I've said, that the most important spiritual habits you can develop is a daily time alone with Jesus. And for many of you guys, any talk of Bible reading and prayer, it brings up frustration over failed attempts and guilt trips laid on you by other people. But I want to encourage you, time with God is more of an invitation than an obligation. He wants to meet with you. He wants to hear from you. He wants to speak to you. He's not up there keeping score of how many days you showed up and how many days you missed. My daughters have a lot of attitude, both of them. They're six and three years old. And sometimes they're in the mood for the biggest, sweetest hugs that you've ever imagined. And then other times they want nothing to do with me. Right? It's like, hey, can I have a hug? My oldest daughter, she doesn't care. She'll go, no. Let's just walk away. <laughs> okay. I'll be over here when you're ready. Am I as her dad brooding at the end of the day? Ugh. The next day, you didn't give me a hug yesterday. No. What am I doing? Another day, arms wide open. Whenever she's ready, I'm ready. That's how your heavenly father's posture is towards you. He's not up there brooding, oh, they missed their quiet time again today. He's going, oh, my child, whenever you're ready, I'm ready. He longs to meet with you, and all we have to do is step into it. Will there be difficult days? Will there be days that you don't feel like it? Yes, that's where the discipline comes in. Well, we shouldn't look at our Heavenly Father as someone mad at us, insisting that we show up for a meeting, but instead as a Heavenly Father who wants to meet and love on his kids. So as we go out from this place, I want to encourage you first, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, today is the day. Come talk to me. I'll be right here at the end of the service. I'd love to talk with you about that. Maybe you're a Christian, but you're not bearing as much fruit as you'd like and you need a season of pruning. I would encourage you to find someone and pray with them. Pastor Matt will be in the back. He'd love to do it. I'll pray with you up here. Whoever you're sitting next to at church will pray with you. Make room for connecting with Christ. Maybe you're here and you're not spending daily time with Jesus. Today is the day to start. Block out time, beginning tomorrow, five or ten minutes, start slow, and begin meeting with the God who loves you and died for you and is eager to commune with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us your word so that we might know you. We thank you that you want to be known, that you want to be interacted with, that you want to hear from us, that you love us. Lord, I pray that you would make us a church that walks with you daily. And as we do that, would you make us the people that you've called us to be? Your word does the work. Your spirit does the work. We can't be who we want to be, but you can make us who we're called to be. And so would you help us to develop that habit, that rhythm in our lives of meeting with you? And when we do it, again, not to earn your love, but because we already have it in Christ. And so go before us this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.